that's probably been going on for a long time. So I feel bad for this workplace. I know, and it, it, it's impacting whether or not other people want to come to work. Yeah, we're doing it. Welcome to Corporate Confessions, the very first episode, a long time in the making. I'm Erin, and I'm joined by my longtime friend, fantastic confidant over here. I'm Andy. We're going we're gonna to try to help you get some of your mojo back. So before we dig in, I thought I would share a little bit about why we uh, put this podcast together, what it's going to be about. But uh, Corporate Confessions, really inspired by the need to have uh, a place to share what's going on, get some advice in the corporate world in a a safe space where you might encounter people that have been there and done that and can help you uh, figure out a a tricky situation. But this is uh, not legal advice. I will say that. This is just kind of Jersey meets Austin gut check stuff. We, we do not give legal advice, do we, Andy? No. And we also are not HR professionals. So right. just keep that in mind. Yeah. So basically take it with a grain of salt or don't take it. But I think it would be fun to, to hear what's going on and see if we could support you in any way, shape, or form. So the first segment that we're going to do is uh, called Bad Boss. And then we're going to take some questions that people submitted at Corporate Confessions website. And if you want to send in a question, you can do that by sending an email to spillit at corporateconfesh.com. Or you can go to the Corporate Confessions site, corporateconfesh.com, and submit anonymously. So we will never share who you are, and your question might be featured on an episode. So let's dig in with Bad Boss. So Andy, this this happened last week. I don't know if you were tuned into the shenanigans with Robert De Niro's company. No, I haven't been. So it surprised me that he's 80 years old. I did not know this. And he also, I think, had it like his seventh child, you know, like a month ago. So his production company was sued by his former personal assistant. and was found liable of gender discrimination and abuse and ordered to pay $1.2 million to his former personal assistant, which is a nice chunk of change. When I was reading about what he was accused of, it, it made me feel like I, I'm pretty sure I would never want to be a personal assistant to any celebrity of, of any kind. In any way, shape, or form. I'm sure it's one a horror, of, a horror show. <laughs> one of the things was that he was accused of taking conference calls with her while on the toilet. Oof. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just. I guess if you're 80, you don't know. You have a mute button. You know, every now and then you're on a long board call, and it's totally normal that you might need to use the bathroom, but to like do that and not mute yourself is a little odd. So that was one of her complaints that he would like pee while talking to her. He also had her like scratch his back Oof, and then no. she, she offered him a, a back scratcher and it apparently wasn't the same. So she was made to scratch his back. Yeah. A little over the line on that. Yeah. A little over the line. Not something that 
I think that you'd be expected to do in your day to day life. No. So, so we're, we're sure she wasn't like in the bathroom with him, right? <laughs> I don't think that she was in the bathroom with him. Okay. I think that, she, you know, he, there's voicemails and things that were shared during discovery that he used some foul language and berated her for not waking him up for a meeting and stuff. I mean, he just sounds like, you know, super old school, harsh, you know, like really free with his colorful language. She worked for him for, for like more than 10 years. Wow. She should have got more than 1.2 for that. I know. So he wasn't personally found to be liable, but it was the production company. So I know it just was a, a good reminder that that life is not something that I would ever, ever choose. The life of the personal assistant. I'm sure that's not the way it is in, in everybody's world, but he, he admitted to behaving badly on multiple fronts. I just don't think I'd be any good at it, frankly. <laughs> I can barely <laughs> keep my calendar straight. <laughs> you could scratch it. You'd be a good back scratcher. I mean, that I could probably do, but... <laughs> yeah. You're married to a massage therapist. I am. Yeah. Any any oh. tricks? You have anything <laughs> up your sleeve? Just you probably constantly. get a raise. <laughs> you know, just constantly just complain of, of back pain and, and you're just, you're you're lucky. You're good. And I can imagine a lot of the, like, the role of the personal assistant, certainly you don't sign up to be humiliated and discriminated against and berated and things like that. But you have to imagine a celebrity of that, you know, caliber has some pretty extreme high needs. So you can't, there's some level of like punishment. I think, you know, you're signing up for if you're taking care of somebody like that. Yeah. I mean, they don't know. Nobody's ever told them no, they they're worshiped. I mean, that's just kind of a recipe for no humility and misaligned expectations. Yeah, I agree. Uh, like a million years ago when I was in college, I remember looking at internships and you know when you can like try to apply to like be David Letterman's intern or work for SNL. And I remember looking at feedback for, for David Letterman and one of the people who had had a, an internship with him, different from being the personal assistant, but one of the things they said was he likes his pineapple cut in strips, not chunks. I just feel like people have their very specific needs. You're signing up for something a little, little yeah. out of the box there. 24 by 7 on call. Yeah. Uh, no, thank you. No, not for me. All right. Well, we're, we'll get to some of the user-submitted questions. So there were, there were a bunch. I'm really surprised given how under the radar this has been and just kind of going out to friends and posting in a, in a couple groups on LinkedIn, some networking groups, had some really good questions. So we'll, we'll pull two of them and see if there's anything that we can do to support these folks here. So I'll read the first one for you, Andy. Of all the submissions, I think this is a, this is a good place to start. So this is a, a toxic environment question. How does one deal with a colleague or supervisee whose massive flatulence problem is ruining your work quality of life? I have already had two discussions with them about this issue, and the second time I asked them to discuss the matter with their doctor because I was getting complaints from other coworkers on our floor because the smell was emanating down the hall. To make matters worse, 
She has a chemical sensitivity, which makes her allergic to air fresheners, but apparently not to her own farts, which they claim they cannot smell. Please advise. (laughs) Wow. So, I mean, they've already had two conversations. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is, I mean, is there, A, could they work from home? You know, is that an option for them? Could you get them an office that has industrial airflow capabilities? <laughs> I mean, I think what makes matters worse is if this person, I mean, there's reasonable accommodation, I think, that mm-hmm. you'd have to make. I can't believe the person's not more horrified and just, I mean, not more proactive about it. But then to layer on the, I can't deal with air fresheners. There's a part of me that's just, I'm calling a little BS on it. Like, is this their, is this their shtick? Is this their kink? (laughs) I mean, I don't know what the third conversation sounds like. I mean, you know, you could ask a medical professional, certainly, but yeah, I would either say work from home or prep an industrial uh, chem hood office. (laughs) It's like a little breaking bad scenario yeah i mean there's suits yeah you can't have one person ruining it for everyone and i mean i can't imagine that person that has the issue is feeling the love either right yeah well the one thing i think about is that it seems like there could be some sort of underlying medical issue you know maybe there's irritable bowel syndrome or something going on there yeah, and it's it's hard to hear just from the the person that wrote in. I mean, it sounds like they referenced a medical condition, but there wasn't any more information on that. Like, I would think you would need some documentation. I mean, it's on on what that is and what the cures are, and mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little bit adjacent to hygiene, right? Or I guess the converse would be someone that comes in and wears really strong perfume, like. That would probably, I mean, you would need to put an end to that because it's the same thing or too much smell for your for your coworkers. So, yeah, I would think they'd really need to understand the medical piece and then make some sort of accommodation because it's, and it's probably been going on for a long time. So I feel bad for this workplace. I know. And it, it's impacting whether or not other people want to come to work and how they feel about being in the space. You have to start. Treating it like you said, if somebody came in and they just bathed in a bottle of Drekar every day and you had to sit next to that, that's my worst. I think I, that would be worse than the farter, in my opinion. <laughs> it's pretty I, close. <laughs> it's pretty close, but when you get on a plane and you're stuck next to someone that reeks of perfume or cologne, that's ugh, pretty brutal. It's just the worst. But Although I have a really strong gag reflex. So, I mean, the farts might do me in. (laughs) Yeah, the farts. I say we go with conversation three is about how it's impacting the work colleagues and how other people are affected. And what can we do to support you so that you have a space where if you have something going on, we're, we're not trying to stifle your farting behavior, but we give you a safe farting place. (laughs) And we have air purifiers or air filters, maybe some work from home accommodation. And 
maybe there could be some sort of, you know, compromise around the candles. There's got to be something where like an air freshener or something is, you know, more benign just to try to work it out with them. But got to be careful because it's like treading on the whole medical issue. You can't. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, definitely time for a heart to fart. <laughs> about the I real agree. impact yeah right. that's a stinker all right we'll, we'll leave <laughs> that one okay let's see there are a couple others that i thought were really good this one's juicy i'm gonna i'm gonna give i'm gonna give you this one andy and you tell me what you think of this 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 was really the headline is that this person wrote in that somebody else was taking credit for their ideas and they, they need some advice so the question is I had a manager who would take full credit for my ideas and work as her own. It was really bad to the point that she got an award for something that was my idea, and I set the precedence for. She did acknowledge me and gave me bravo points, but no one knew it was my idea, and I set the basis for it. I approached her, but she would claim that my contributions would be reflected on my review. They were not. I received met expectations and no mention of the special global projects I led. She claimed the contributions were a development opportunity and not considered on the review, which contradicted what she originally told me. I did put this on my comments to senior leadership, but they did not see them. This led to a perception, in my opinion, that I was just an average performer. Thus, I got the average pay raise and average bonus. When promotions came around, my manager was promoted from senior director to executive director, and some of my colleagues with visible contributions were promoted up a level as well. I take accountability since I was relying on my manager to be my cheerleader, and culturally, I was raised to be humble. I did not shine my light or openly call attention to my rather impressive accomplishments. So the question is, once leadership deems you as an average employee, how do I change that perception when they are in the room discussing promotions and succession plans? How can I change this perception when I had a manager who basically was self-serving and hid me, excluding me from meetings for her own benefit? How do I make sure I get talked about in the room? Hmm. Man, that's a tough one. I mean, I think we've probably all been, many of us have been in this situation, right? I mean, that's just poor leadership and very, it sounds very intentional on the, on the manager's part. You know, I suppose you could make, make it a part-time job to try to become more visible, build more relationships within the company and try to make things known a little bit more. But at the end of the day, if this person's your manager and they're not letting you spread their, your wings and not giving you challenges and being your champion, I hate to say it. I mean, I would, I would think long and hard and either, I don't know how big the company is, maybe transfer to another, another area or division, or I might, I might think about finding another role outside of that company and really assess the leadership and make sure you're on an upward, upward path. It's, it's also no fun to have to toot your own horn. Like, it just sounds like a, a leadership gap and it, it doesn't sound like they have the controls in place to even be aware of that, that immature leadership style, hence the promotion for her, further complicated by the fact that it sounds like he or she is promoting others 
and overlooking you. I mean, I think in the near term, you could have a, a very candid conversation with them and bring up the point that XYZ wasn't in your review and you're supposed to be able to amend your review and add comments, which sounds like maybe you did, but you know, just make sure that's that's known. But it's hard because, you know, and a lot of times the review process is fraught with just subjective opinions of of one person versus more of a 360 approach. So long-winded answer, but I mean, that's a hard situation to to try to navigate. It depends how much kind of energy and passion you have for your job in that company in terms of how much you want to have to try to be your own cheerleader. Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, it's so hard because I feel I've, I resonated with the whole, you know, trying to be humble and maybe putting her trust or their trust in this manager that they were going to see her and elevate her and recognize her. And I, I can empathize with not wanting to be the squeaky wheel, because if you want to be seen and you're, you're lobbying to be seen and that has sometimes cultural implications in the workplace too, where people are like, Oh, you know, so-and-so, you know, is looking for, recognition or a pat on the back. And I think as women, we're conditioned even more so to not toot our own horn and champion our victories, you know, above, above and beyond kind of what, what is thrown at us or the, the, the little scraps that come our way. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It, I would have a major heart to heart with this manager and say, look, I, this was my expectation. We both know this was my idea or my plan. And you saw it through and took the credit. I, I want to see how you intend to make it known that that was my contribution. I, I trusted that that was going to happen given our interaction. And if it doesn't happen, I'm fully prepared to to take it kind of up a notch and ensure that it's not overlooked because if she put her faith in this person and and it, it didn't come to fruition i would go around her i would go above her but i give her a shot first and kind of give her the heads up first yeah i agree with that absolutely and you know yeah give your your best effort towards having a candid conversation make sure you take note of of the conversation and yeah and also be prepared for set yourself a, a a deadline of, hey, if I don't see changes by X, the only thing that worries me is, and you're right, it's it's so much harder for women and it takes such an emotional toll. So I would, if I'm that person, make sure that, you know, they don't just get lower and lower in this and, and have it really impact them and have them doubt their own abilities or accomplishments. You know, people should be in a culture that raises people up and inspires them and they have uh, upward mobility. I agree. I agree. And it, I always think keeping tabs on keeping track of things in writing that were shared to kind of validate it was your idea or your concept or whatever it might be that she's trying to defend and get credit for. It's always so good to just keep that somewhere where you have access to it and just kind of have a little arsenal of evidence if it's ever needed. But, I agree. Um, yeah, the, the emotional part is hard because then you're in this job where you you don't feel 
recognize, taken advantage of, not valued. People leave jobs when they feel all those things or one of those things. If you don't feel recognized, valued, seen, heard, you know, that's a recipe for total disaster, quiet quitting, whatever you want to call it, but it's just, it's not a good place to be. So to try to get some uh, positive feedback from your colleagues that do value you and do see your contribution and make sure you have great mentors that are helping to keep you um, positive and motivated is, is going to be important to keep, you know, if, you, if, if this person intends to stay at this organization, you don't want to get into a really negative headspace. Yeah, absolutely. Because at some point, you're going to need a reference from someone at the company. So keep that in mind. Try to, that could be another reason to foster uh, some additional relationships. And the other thing that that I've done, that's really helped me if if I know I'm going into a difficult conversation is sounds dorky, but I will literally write it down and prepare and get my thoughts together and make sure I have the salient points, check myself on my tone, my delivery, and just be really prepared for the conversation that you that you plan to have. Obviously, I don't take my notes into the meeting, but I think that can be a really helpful way to have those conversations, especially when you're trying to manage up and trying to, you know, insp- inspire change. That's great advice. And then mock, to do like a little mock conversation with somebody to just play it out. Yeah. Yeah, be clear and kind of try to separate the the emotion out of it and be very factual. And, um, you know, you're just you're giving this your all. And I think the type of conversation will show that. And then, you know, if you need to have that similar conversation uh, up above your manager, then then you're also ready for that. Excellent. All right. I think we have time for one more. Are you ready for one more? I sure am. Do you have a, you have a cocktail? Soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this one was good. It uh, brings in a little social media element that I thought was interesting. So I'm calling this one Unlucky Strike. Our company has an unlimited sick leave policy. This includes for reasons of mental health days, childcare, etc. I have a two-part question since this involves two scenarios within my group. One, my manager who's been on a performance improvement plan this year who was on the cusp of being let go in the middle of September, took an extended sick leave before the layoff and has not returned to work. Last week, I noticed on the public Facebook account that they're on, we're not friends, but profile is accessible for Facebook members, that she uploaded a picture of herself bowling a high score. I sent this to management. It's frustrating that they have not moved forward in getting rid of this person. The manager was incompetent and not a good fit, so it's a rightful layoff. Why is it taking so long? Two, I have a colleague who seems to take sick days every week saying she's not feeling well. Typically, when taking a sick day, we post it on our group Slack channel as a courtesy. This is how I can see a trend with how many sick days are being taken by this person. This has been going on all year, and I want to ask management about this but not sure how to approach. I'm empathetic to personal situations, but I feel this is putting our team behind because it results in everyone else picking up the slack. All right. There's a a lot to that. I mean, part of me wonders what kind of work they're doing. You know, is it like a development sprint team or, you know, is it really, could you measure how much they're getting behind and how much interdependence is required? 
Or is it, you know, and I get it. I mean, that would be very frustrating for anyone in that situation. But I wonder how measurable and, and how much this these two people, which probably weren't contributing anything anyway, like how much is that really impacting the team? And, you know, there's maybe a little bit where this person is just so over it that they're, they're also like really focused on it. And, and I get it, but um, my, my thoughts are, well, typically HR has a lot of boxes to check and thing and things to document before they can officially let someone go. However, if someone's on a, a performance improvement or PIP plan, that is usually a pretty quick process. So I don't know who's dragging their feet and why. And the fact that they haven't really felt kind of, I mean, they're not going to share with this employee what the status of another employee is. But, you know, I have been hearing this a lot in the industry that people are kind of like, you know, gaming the system and leveraging things like, you know, unlimited PTO. And so there's there's always going to be these unfortunate outliers. And it sounds like there's two within this team unit. I mean, I would say, again, it goes back to how much do you enjoy your job and and your day in the life and things you do? And could this create more opportunity for you? And could you step up and maybe, you know, rise above and, and, and make this a good thing for your career? Or if, you know, have more conversations, surely there's a boss that isn't, if this person's out, there's probably someone that's a proxy that you could have a conversation with. I mean, I certainly wouldn't want this person to drop their work ethic and and kind of follow the herd on this. But um, again, I would have probably more conversations, constructive conversations, so you don't kind of look at the one who's, what is it, snitches get stitches. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, and again, it sounds like this is a pretty dysfunctional situation. So you'll have to decide how much you want to you want to be amongst this mediocrity. Yeah, unlimited PTO isn't always unlimited. You know, there's there have there are guidelines. I mean, I've been in situations where on paper it's unlimited, but you have to make sure your work is covered. You can't get in the way of you know, jeopardizing whatever the deliverables deliverables are that you have. It has to be managed. So, it feels like this person is generally unhappy with management and is really fixated on some of these little, you know, visible bumps around, you know, Facebook posts of bowling. By the way, you can bowl and have a mental illness. You could bowl and have gout. You know, there's a lot there's a lot of things you can do while bowling that you can mask. So it might not be that this person's sick with like bronchitis or pneumonia or something. They could have something else going on that you would never see and never know. And you can still bowl. You can still bowl with irritable bowel, perhaps. (laughs) But uh, I think I have the toxic workplace kind of mad farter on the brain. But (laughs) it's tough because if you see somebody who you and your opinion you feel like should have been exited and then they're just kind of out and about living their life and other people are meant to take up the slack. That's a perfect time to talk to, like you said, the the manager who's the proxy who's in place and, and point out how it impacts the deliverable, the work day, the workload, other employees, and just make it look very non-emotional about how maybe the policy needs to be tweaked 
so that people aren't working double time or however it's impacting this team. Like you said, is it a sprint or something that's getting disrupted? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you could also have some kind of, you know, higher level conversations if you can. Maybe it's an opportunity to ask some folks in leadership about what the vision for the department is and are they planning on growing it and will they be adding more people and, you know, having a having a good conversation about, you know, what do they need? What do they need to for this department to just kill it and, and do a good job? And, you know, you've got X number of uh, full-time people, you know, full-time at work and are there plans to add to that? And, you know, maybe if you hear kind of the other, other side of the coin, it might be a little bit more inspiring to know that, Hey, this is, you know, this is going to be behind us and, and focus on the upside of the future. I agree. Awesome. Well, Andy, I think, I think we covered it for our first episode. We got, we got three questions in, we covered uh, some bad boss behavior. And if you are out there listening and you have some sort of scenario, it doesn't need to be heavy, heavy work drama. It could be something that you're grappling with and you you want some advice. You can submit a question on the website, corporateconfesh, C-O-N-F-E-S-H.com, or spill it at corporateconfesh.com, as in spill the tea. Talk to us. We just, we, we like hearing what's going on. Keep, keep the questions coming. Keep them coming. And we will see you in a couple weeks. Thanks for joining. First episode ever of Corporate Confessions. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.